wonderful. I can ask uh, Resound if they could make their way out. If you don't know who you are, that's the artist formerly known as Youth. So if you could make your way out, okay. We're going to do things slightly different this morning. We're going to flip it around a little bit. So we're going to end up with plenty of time to sing again and to put some great words on our lips as we already begin to talk about this morning. But I'm going to look at the teaching part first. And um, we're looking at James. Uh, we're looking at James chapter 3. And uh, I think this is the first time that I've ever preached on this passage, which is great. And it's such a well-known passage as well. So I've obviously ducked it for lots of years uh, for a good reason. But I can't duck it today because it's the next in line and I'm on the rotor. So that's how it works here. No, it doesn't. And um, I don't know whether you've ever, have you ever been in a situation where you've had a brand new big tube of toothpaste? And when you go to squeeze the first bit out on your toothbrush and you squeeze out more than you want. Anyone? Or was that only me? And when you squeeze all that toothpaste out, that new tube, you desperately want to get some of it back in. You've ever tried that? It doesn't work. And you know that that's an old illustration to describe what happens with our words and with our mouth. If you've ever said something and you wish you could get it back in the tube, anyone know what I'm talking about? In fact, I have done that so many times in my life, I have definitely lost count. All right? I'm terrible at this. In fact, even this week, while I was in my office preparing this message, I got up from my desk, went out and said something to somebody in such a way that I thought, oh God, why did I do that? Why can't I now take that and get it back in and you know you can't? And I'm sure that I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one, am I? Yeah, you are. That's what you say. No, there's lots of it. So... If you, with me, together, would like to own this issue, and you would like to admit, okay, in front of everyone, that there have been times when you've regretted the words that have come out your mouth, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, I'm going to ask you to stick out your tongue. Some of you are just looking at me and there's no way I'm going to do this. You see, you see, the crazy thing is that if you went to the doctors, often a doctor still, I believe, will say, stick out your tongue. Because the tongue is an indicator of the health of the body. In fact, in Chinese medicine, they believe that the tongue is an indicator of every disease that's in your body. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I'm so glad that God, in his word, the Bible, speaks about issues like this. And God is asking us, through James, this morning, to stick out our tongue. And for us to have a little health check on how we're using our tongue. And that's what James chapter 3 is all about. I've called it Taming the Tongue this week's talk. And um, what James does in in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, and we're going to go through every single verse and word of this chapter, is he says in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Do we have any teachers in the house this morning? Anyone whose profession it is to be a teacher, put your hand up. Because more of you than that, okay, some of you just don't want to admit it. Listen to what James said. In the message version, it says this. Don't be in any rush to be a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards. That's like Ofsted in the first century, isn't it? That's what it sounds like there. But James, right from the beginning of chapter 3, says, and he's a teacher... He's not really saying don't be a teacher. He's saying, listen, if you're a teacher, if you use words to communicate with anybody else, you need to be really careful. It's such a responsible job and your tongue is such a dangerous weapon. Right from the start is what he says. Now, there there was a high honour given to teachers in the Jewish tradition. In the Jewish tradition, the teacher, the other word for teacher is the word rabbi. 
And when a rabbi invited people to be his disciples, his followers, they weren't just going into his lecture room to listen to the, to the knowledge that he was communicating. That wasn't what it, you, you didn't go and be with a rabbi to, just to learn what he knew. You went to be with a rabbi to learn what he knew and to do what he did and to become like who he was. Which is why the rabbinical phrase, come follow me, which Jesus uses, is a rabbi phrase. When Jesus says to those disciples and those fishermen and all that, you're going to come and be my disciples. He says, come follow me. They know in their mind, because they're Jews, they know that doesn't mean we're going into a lecture room where we can just listen to this person's teaching and then walk out. They're going to be with that teacher. They're going to learn what they know. They're going to do what they do. They're going to become like them. Now in the early church, the rabbi was then replaced by the teacher, like James. But still the same kind of high honour. Because they knew that it wasn't just the words that the teacher said, it was the life that the teacher lived. And now that's true of every single one of us. You know that, don't you? It's not just the words that we say, it's the life in which we live. But the rabbi in the Jewish tradition knew how important it was to get a grip of this little thing called the tongue. The rabbi, one of the rabbi phrases was, not learning but doing is the foundation. And he who multiplies words multiplies sins. Then in verse 2, James says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Listen to that. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. I think that's an amazing statement. It's like saying, if you could tame the tongue, it could lead to perfection. Now, we know that this side of eternity, this side of heaven, none of us are going to be perfect, all right? Certainly not this one. None of us. But there's a sense in which there's a connection between perfection and the ability to tame the tongue. There are two ideas woven into Jewish thought that James is bringing out here. One of them is that everyone stumbles. That word that James uses, stumbles, means slips up. It means sins, actually, misses the mark. Everyone does that. And more often than not, the way we mess up, the way we slip up, the way we stumble is often connected to the use of our tongue. And the other idea in Jewish thought is that the tongue is a deadly weapon. Rabbis would teach that the tongue is an arrow. Not a knife, because an arrow kills at a distance. And that's the thought that's woven into their psyche. And so it was said of Peter, if you remember the Apostle Peter, that he said, I'll never deny Jesus. And remember, they took him off to crucify him. And in the courtyard, um, you know, he, 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 he's speaking and, and people say, you're with him. I can tell by the way you talk. It was his speech that, that, that betrayed who he was. And then he denied him. It's interesting that Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, that, that when he saw that vision of God's holiness and glory, and then in the light of that perfection, he said, look at me, woe is me, I am a man of unclean what? Lips. He didn't say I'm a man of an unclean heart, he said I'm a man of unclean lips. And we'll see later how the lips are connected to the state of our heart. But Jesus says, and if you thought James was diluted, Jesus is, un, is, is undiluted. Jesus is undiluted at times as well. In Matthew 12, verse 36, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. How ouch is that? Then it goes on, it gets worse. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Here's my phrase for us to think about this morning. Undiluted faith requires the taming of the tongue. 
In chapter 1, which I began a couple of weeks ago and looked at that, we said undiluted faith is the only type of faith that works in the tough lane. Simon did a fantastic job last week in chapter 2, looking at undiluted faith is the only type of faith that works when you share it. But we're going to look in chapter 3, and I think the overwhelming message is this, that undiluted faith requires the taming of the tongue. When we don't tame the tongue, it dilutes our faith and our witness and our effectiveness. It says in Proverbs 18 verse 21, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And that in the message says, Words kill, words give life, they're either poison or fruit, You choose. (laughs) How hard-hitting is that? Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. And what James does is in chapter 3 is he uses various pictures and metaphors to describe the power and the effect of this little thing called the tongue. So let's look at it firstly. The first thing is the power to direct in verse 3 and 4. It says this, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So these two pictures are are the same really. You've got this big animal, this beast of a horse, and this little tiny bit that's placed in his mouth. That little bit steers the direction the horse goes. You've got a huge ship. Imagine like the Queen Mary or Queen Elizabeth, thousands of tons of ship with engines and power. The direction is affected by a small thing you don't see, called the rudder. James is saying it's the same with your life. Your tongue will direct, change or affect the trajectory of your life. And can I just say, it's not just in the words that come out of your mouth where this applies. I want to suggest that any thoughts we have, any words that are formed in our head, Any feelings that we articulate inside of us, all these things can give life, can give direction to our life. They can affect the trajectory of our life. It's not just what we say, but the words that we form in our head and in our heart, which will affect the direction of our life. Could you imagine if you could refrain from formulating words of self-pity, of hate, of envy, of jealousy, of bitterness? If we could cut them off, While they're inside of us, even before they come out, wouldn't that be amazing? That's what James is getting at here. He's saying that tiny thing called a tongue will affect the direction of your life. and You've got to get to grips with it even before the words come out of your mouth. Let me give you an illustration of this. I've told this story before, I think, but this is a guy called Cliff Young. Now, Cliff Young um, was a 61-year-old Australian potato farmer who decided to enter a race in Australia. Now this makes the London Marathon look like a walk in the park because this race is between Sydney and Melbourne. It's 544 miles long. That's a long race, isn't it? That's a long race. I could do it on my bike, but not. But, But running it, that's a whole different deal. And this guy turned up for this race in his farmer gear. He turned up originally in galoshes and big boots, at farmer boots just straight off the, off the fields. 
And he's 61 year old. It's the first race he's ever entered. This is a true story. You can look at it up on Google. So it must be true. And, and, and he's, he's saying, and he turns up, and, and all these runners are there. And they're all like, some of them are sponsored by Nike and Adidas. And they're all in all the gear. And this 61 year old potato farmer pitches up to enter this race 544 miles from Sydney to Melbourne. Not only did he run the race, he won the race. And not only did he win the race, but he took two days off the record. He ran it and completed it in five days, 15 hours and 44 minutes. He took two days off the record. How on earth did he do that? He did it because of the words he told himself. You see, everybody else told themselves this truth that you need to run all day and sleep all night. Run all day and sleep all night. And Cliff Young came along and thought, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to run slower than these guys. I'm just not going to sleep much. And he just kept running. And while they slept, he kept running. It's the, it's the archetypal hare and the tortoise illustration. And this guy won it because he told himself different truths to what everybody else said. And there's something about the power of the tongue. If we can get a grip of it. And the Bible says that we're renewed, uh, that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, doesn't it? If there's something we could do. If we could get a hold of this thing called the tongue. Even before we start speaking it out, can we get a hold of it inside of our head? It could affect change the trajectory of our life. And then James goes on to talk about the power to destroy in the tongue. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Wow. It's like, you know, we can can tame all this stuff. I mean, we're so... Think about it now. You know, we can do this. We can send people into space. We can put people on the moon. We can cross the planet we can sail across an ocean we can fly around the world we can do all that but we can't tame the tongue that's powerful no human being can tame the tongue it is a restless evil full of deadly poison and again two illustrations to to describe and to illustrate just how powerful and the destructive power of the tongue is first is a forest fire you know in 1666 in, in, in in a little house a, a, a fire started, a spark and then a fire in one house. After four days, 80% of London was destroyed by the Great Fire of London. The biggest forest fire in recorded history is in, was in Canada. Listen to this. Three million acres of forest were destroyed by a forest fire that started with a single spark. And I wonder how much devastation has been caused on this planet by this one little thing called the tongue. So stick out your tongue. We have got to get to grips with taming this if we're going to have an undiluted faith that brings honour and glory to God. And then James talks about poison as another kind of illustration. And I I just wonder, and the word in the Greek there is literally snake venom. It says your tongue is like snake venom. It's like so poisonous, like words you say. This is when it goes from in your head to speaking out. Words you say, words you speak can be like poison running through the body. I wonder how many marriages have ended because of the use of the tongue. I wonder how many relationships have been destroyed. Can I dare say, I wonder how many churches have been split 
because of the poison and the venom of the tongue. That's why the Bible talks a lot about the sin of gossip and slander. Now I know that we don't suffer from any of those kind of conditions here in this church. And that there are nobody, there's nobody here in this church that would ever dare dream of gossiping or anything like that. Am I right? Oh, Bernard, that's a bit loud there. So, <laughs> so let me tell you a little story. And I, I found this on the internet while I was researching for this. In a particular church, they had a lady who was known to be the town gossip. She was always sticking her nose into other people's business. One day she accused a new member of being an alcoholic because she'd seen his truck in the parking lot in front of a bar. The new member said he'd simply parked there. But the gossip said, well, if his truck was parked there in front of the bar, he was definitely up to no good. The new member, being a quiet sort, simply and silently walked away from the accusation. He didn't try to talk her out of anything. He did, however, get a bit of revenge. When later that evening, he quietly parked his truck in front of the gossip's house, walked home and left it there all night. (laughs) I love that. But you, you know that... The, the thing about gossip is this. If someone gossips to you, they're definitely going to gossip about you. You know that, don't you? And someone said to me at the, after this, this morning's service, you know, just this thought. If someone comes up to you and says, have you heard something? You want to say, no, I haven't. And I don't really want to. I don't really want to. Because once we allow our tongue to get into gossip, we set a forest fire that is devastating. We set a poison into the body that is destructive. And even if it's just from your own self, if they gossip to you, they will definitely gossip about you. And James just says it right as it is. This is a powerful thing in your mouth, the tongue. It has power to destroy. Thirdly, it has power to display in verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. You can hear the pastor's heart here. You know, he says, look, you know, on the one hand, we, we lift up our, you know, how many times in church we go, oh God, you're great, you're fantastic, you're wonderful. Ooh, look at him, look at her. And out of the same mouth comes praises and curses. And James doesn't say, you know, dear church members, dear numbers, dear statistics, dear brothers and sisters. How can this be? That out of the same mouth comes praises and cursing. It shouldn't be so. It's what he's saying. It displays something that's going on inside of you. So Peter says, I'll never deny you, then denies Jesus. The Apostle John writes great words about loving each other. He's the same one that asked Jesus to call down fire on that village. John Bunyan in his, in his Pilgrim's Progress, classic Christian literature, he has a character called Talkative. Who, it says of Talkative, he was a saint abroad and a sinner at home. It's like these two things coming out of the same mouth. This should not be. And it's all connected to verse 12, where it says, My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? A grapevine bear figs, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. In other words, what comes out of your mouth is connected to what's in your heart because that's the source. The Bible says, Matthew 12, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And because I'm such a big gob and I've had this, got this wrong so many times and I know that I use my tongue and can inspire, encourage and teach and motivate and I know that this tongue in this person is also a deadly weapon that's probably hurt many of you. And I've spent you know, my life, kind of, certainly in my 20s and 30s, thinking, oh yeah, but that's just who I am, that's my personality, that's this, and that's all garbage. I know that's all garbage now. I have to tame my tongue. 
That's a bigger challenge for people who are gobbier than it is for quieter people. But we still have the challenge to tame our... That's the original Greek language that I was talking about there. So, (laughs) I don't even know what I said there, but some of you reacted. So, undiluted faith requires the taming of the tongue. I've got great news for you. It's possible. It is possible. We might not reach perfection, but it is possible to get a better grip on this thing called the tongue. So how does this apply to us in the 21st century? There are two things I want us to focus on. I want us to focus on the actual words we say, that we think of or we meditate on. But I also, for a few moments, want to think about how we use our tongue in the context of social media. Because social media is the new reality of how we communicate with each other on this planet. Now you might say, not me, not me. Well, that's okay, but you're fast becoming, well, not a minority, but but there are millions of people in this world. This is how we communicate. And I want to speak into it because I think it's really important. How many of you are on Facebook? How many of you are on Twitter? Ever look at YouTube? LinkedIn? Flickr? MySpace? Okay, getting less and less there. Do you know what? These stats are 2011, so they're out of date already, so it's more than this. In 2011, there were 500 million Facebook users worldwide. That's one in 13 people on the planet uses Facebook. If Facebook was a country, it's the third biggest country in the world behind China and India. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Twitter, there are 100 million users tweeting out 10 billion tweets a year. LinkedIn has over 50 million users worldwide. 48% of 18 to 34-year-olds will check Facebook as the first thing they do in the morning. 28% of them will do it from a smartphone before they get out of bed. So it's not good morning, Lord. It's good morning, Facebook. It's changed. Social media has changed the way we not only talk and communicate with one another, but the way in which we live our lives. So marketing people and companies will say that's their main driver now, is how to engage social media. A couple of weeks ago when I was starting to think about this, I put a little survey out on Facebook and Twitter and some of you responded straight away, which was great. And I said, doing some stuff on social media, in one word, tell me what you like about it and in one word, tell me what you're concerned about. Loads of people responded really quickly, which shows the power of social media. Overwhelmingly, what you said and other people from outside this church commented as well, that the thing that we like the most is that we connected to people in new ways. Brilliant. But when it came to what we're concerned about, it was things like this. It's really addictive. It could replace real relationships. It could be like a virtual thing. And also, there is such a danger of abuse and manipulation with social media. I want to say to you, I think social media is great because it connects people across divides. I think that's brilliant. I love the fact that it enables me to connect with, with friends and people all around the world in, in, in great ways and easy ways and cheap ways as well. Social media is great because it helps to share ideas and inspiration. Social media is great because it creates a sense of tribe and identity and belonging. And social media is great because often it's just good fun. And there's nothing wrong with fun, is there? Oh dear, there's nothing wrong with fun, is there? No, so it's brilliant. But, but, if you're a believer this morning, undiluted faith means that we need to tame the tongue when it comes to the use of social media. We need to do it. Verse 13, Who is wise among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So I want to give you three things that I think are biblical wisdom 
when it comes to the use of social media this morning. Number one, pause before you post. Because it is instant does not mean that you have to be instant as well. Because you can press it live right there and then does not mean that you should do it. You see, what we're creating, what we're living in, what our young people are growing up in is in a world that knows nothing of self-control and impulse control. I feel it, I say it. I feel it, I do it. I feel it, it's out there. The Bible says, Paul says in Galatians, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Let's be careful that I don't get out of control while I'm communicating this. So just because I can do it instantly does not mean that I should. Pause before you post. How many people, I see it on Facebook and Twitter, and we vent and we, oh, this is terrible, life straight out, and we get it straight out. We haven't even thought about what it is that we're saying. You know, I was in a, a conference in America a couple of years ago with 13,500 other leaders, and fantastic conference, and a woman was speaking, and she was talking about this whole use of social media. She's brilliant. And she said, do you know what I'm seeing in lots of Christian meetings that, that Bible teachers are teaching and, and we've got our phones ready. Yes, yeah, on the Bible, of course it is. And, and we're looking at it and, and, and they say something really good and we tweet it straight out or we put it on our Facebook status. She says, what we do there is we put it out before we process it. We haven't, let it, we haven't thought about it. We haven't let the Holy Spirit work on it. We put it straight out there. And she said to 13,500 leaders, please don't do that. Don't tweet every good thing you hear. Think about it. As she said that, I looked around and there were people tweeting that. There were people tweeting, I kid you not, there were people tweeting that she said, when you hear something, don't tweet it out. They were tweeting that out. It's like we are totally sucked into a sea of no impulse control. And when you tweet stuff out and you post it, can I ask you, just because it's gone out there does not mean it's true. And I see loads. This week, there's a whole load of stuff. And I'm not saying anything about that particular thing. But do you know it's true? Do you know the background to it? Or is it just, well, let's get it out. Let's get it on someone's wall. You need to look at this. You need to look at that. Blah, 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 blah. And also, what really concerns me is I do see things posted from Christians which are attacks on other believers. Scandalous. Scandalous. That we would put attacks on on other believers and other Christians and ministries out in a public domain when we don't know whether that's true. Because you've read one article from one person's perspective, that does not make it true. We need to pause before we post. That's what the Bible teaches. Secondly, imagine that what you put out is on the screens in church. So here's my Facebook status coming up. Live, don't you dare, any of you, okay? I'm looking, I'm looking at you, Mark Welsh. I've got your name. That is my faith. In fact, I did this at the nine o'clock and then somebody started sending me a message and chatted to me. I'm in church. But if, that's my live Facebook status. Because what I'm trying to say to you is that if you would be embarrassed with putting something that you put up in front of church, you shouldn't put it up. Because just because there's no one in your room when you post it doesn't mean that nobody sees it. So imagine what you put up is on screen. And thirdly, and please, this is a big one of mine. I'm careful I don't vent here. Resist the urge for virtual therapy. So many people nowadays are using that whole thing to draw in that self-pity and draw in that intrigue and, oh, I've had such a bad week and can it get any worse and this and you're like, oh, what do you mean? And then all people start, oh, you're all right, you're all right. Listen, if you need help and support, there's really good appropriate ways that you can get it. 
Let's not do it virtually. Let's not do it by like putting that whole narcissistic thing out. He's, oh, I'm so sad. Come and tell me that I'm, feeling, that I'm great. There's much, much better, healthier ways to process what's going on in our lives than virtual therapy. Is it clear? So I think social media is absolutely great. And if you're not into it, I'd encourage you to explore it. I think it's brilliant. But we've really got to be careful. If you're going to do confrontation, you never do it over social media. It's unbiblical. It's sin. When you have a go at people on Facebook, it's sin. The Bible says in Matthew 18, verse 15, you've got anything against your brother, you go to him privately, you go to him with your heart right, you sit down, you say, let's talk about it. You do not put it out on, on Facebook or on social media. It's sinful. And it's the tongue at large, and it's destructive, and it's destroying. And it's destroying you as well as destroying others. So, what does James say practically? I think he says this, and I just want to context it now. Bite your tongue. I asked you to stick out your tongue, which you did for some of you. If you were to bite it, it hurts, doesn't it? Just that sense of every time I'm thinking about saying to me, bite my tongue. Ask yourself some questions. Is it true what I'm about to say? And when you're talking about the truth, you don't have to say the whole truth in some situations, but you have to make sure as a believer that what you say is true. There's a difference. You don't have to say the whole truth sometimes. It's not appropriate to do that, but what you do say must be true. So is it true? Is it necessary? Is it helpful? Because you might think, well, this is the truth and this person needs to hear it and I need to get it off my chest and they need to have it. But is that helpful? Is that necessary? Is that about you or is that about them? Bite your tongue. Pause before you post. You know, the proof of God's Spirit, proof that God's Spirit is in you, is not that you speak in an unknown tongue, but that you, that you can control the tongue that you know. There's many people that, you know, the Bible says that. That's clear. That's not me. That's the Bible. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I te- speak with the tongues of men and angels, but don't have love. I don't control this tongue. Then it's nothing. It's like a clanging gong and a cymbal. It's just nothing. It's empty. So bite your tongue. Secondly, check your heart. Want to say it together? Check your heart. In verse 14 to 16, some great stuff here from James. If you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James is saying, listen, but when you're going to speak, you just look at your heart, check your heart. What's going on inside you? What are your motives? You know, because there's a source connected to the fruit. You know, and, and when you speak, bite your tongue, pause, but then check your heart. And then finally, choose your seed. Say that together. Choose your seed. And I love these last two verses, and it kind of tends to flip here now. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And I know he's talking about wisdom, but I think in this context, James is talking about if wisdom from heaven is these things, that should shape that should affect the kind of words that you say. So, so ask yourself, are these words that I'm going to say, if they're wisdom, if they're pure, if they're coming from heaven, then are they peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere? And then in verse 18, a reference to our verse, the verse God has given us, Hosea 10 verse 12, sow for yourselves righteousness. Remember that verse? You do remember that verse? Listen to what it says in verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. James is saying, words are like seed. You will plant them and they will grow. Choose them carefully. See, this is where it flips for me. So much of James chapter 3 is quite negative. 
Okay, the tongue, the power of life and death and, you know, and it can destroy and it can direct and it can devastate and all this kind of stuff. But then there's a flip. Just as much as that's true negatively, it's true positively. Yes? So if my words can cause forest fires, if my words could put poison into the body, if my words could affect the direction and trajectory of my life in a negative way, it's equally true that that could be positive as well. So choose the seed that you're going to sow with your words. Do the words you use build up or do they tear down? Do the words you use inspire or do they deflate? Do the words you use reflect Christ or actually do they diminish Christ? And before you sit there thinking, this is great stuff. I hope all those other people in this room can hear that. (laughs) Which is what we all do. I want to challenge you. How many of you would love to be in a church which is even more loving and encouraging and positive than we are right now? How many of you would love that to grow? Well, can I tell you, the answer for that is not the people around you. The answer to that is you. Because we have to own this and say, do you know what? I am going to bite my tongue. I am going to check my motives. I am going to choose the seed that I sow. And I'm going to be a person that uses words to build up and to encourage and to inspire. And that doesn't mean that we don't confront. It doesn't mean we don't have conflict. It doesn't mean we don't say difficult things. It means all of that. But it means that, all, that when we do that, we do it because we want other people to succeed. We want other people to be encouraged. We want to lead other people into life and not death. And so what we're going to do in a moment is that we're going to spend a good chunk of time just standing and singing and putting some great words on our lips as we finish this morning. But before we do that, what I want to do is I want to create a little bit of space and do something that we don't do very often here. And that's just to have some silence. And in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a reflective activity where we just take silence to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Our our world is so full of noise. Our world is so full of instant, bombarding noise. And sometimes we can't hear the voice of God because there are too many other voices. So what I'd like you to do is just to close your eyes for a moment. And I'm just going to highlight three areas that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us about today. And then I'm going to just leave it for a little bit of silence. Then we're going to stand and we're going to put great words on our lips. So the first area is words that have been spoken over you by somebody else. Perhaps negative words that have affected the direction and the trajectory of your life. Perhaps positive words. People have spoken over you that you've neglected or you've forgotten and that need you. God wants to remind you of them this morning. It's the first area. The second one is words that you speak to yourself. Words that you tell yourself which are not true. They're not what God would say. Let God speak to you about those words. And the third one is words that you say to other people. So let's just have some silence and let the Holy Spirit speak to you.
Maybe that God has already spoken to you now and there are people that you need to go and talk to, apologize to, or try and work something out. Maybe there's a relationship that you just need to say, do you know what, I'm going to change. I'm going to change the thoughts I'm having about this person. I'm going to change the words I speak. I'm going to choose seeds of life and not death. Wouldn't it be amazing? Can you just imagine if we were a church community that lived like that? Imagine how different our homes would be, our workplaces. If we were the guys on Monday morning going into the, into, into the office with the positive words, not the destructive. Imagine if we were the ones that were speaking hope and life and optimism and not the opposite. Imagine how different our workplaces would be, that we were sowing seeds of righteousness because of the words we were using. So Father, I just pray that now as we stand and as we begin to worship you and to begin to put some great words on our lips, God, I pray that, Lord, that we'd be reminded that there is power in our tongue. There is the power of life and death. And Lord, I thank you that you have spoken your life over us. You sent the word. The word became flesh. Jesus is the word of God living incarnate on planet earth and now by your spirit lives in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Lord, it's hard to tame the tongue, but it's not impossible because the hope of glory, Jesus Christ lives in us. And as we submit to you, Lord, you give us the strength and the power to do that. So Lord, I pray God that you'll help us to do that in Jesus' name.